This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. They migrated from the east. They came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. The second reading comes from the book of Acts. Bear with me, there's a lot of names in this one. (laughs) When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the 11, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. 
the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our gospel is taken from the 14th chapter of John. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Um, who is God? Not what is God, but who is God? That is the question that so many well, I think probably every Christian asks themselves. It is what drives the development of our faith. It's what drives us to write the creeds, the prayers. Who is this God that we worship? And one of the ways that the church has come to describe God is as Trinity as God in three persons. And when I teach catechism, one of the questions I ask the kids is, who is God for you? And the, question, the answers I get back almost all describe God the Father. You know, God is someone who watches over me. God is someone who um, is powerful. God is someone who loves me. God is someone who solves my problems. All very parental ways of describing God, which is understandable, because at that age, the family unit is what they understand. I think it takes a little more experience of life to start to understand 
Christ, God the Son, because in that we encounter a God who is incarnate in human being, who experiences the things that humans experience. And I think it's hard to understand or even begin to understand the idea of suffering, crucifixion, and rebirth until you feel those first pangs of mortality in yourself. And then we get God the Spirit. Yeah. The language itself should tip us off, you know. God the Spirit. God the Holy Ghost. It's like we can't quite get our hands on it. It's, 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 it's insubstantial. Most people have trouble describing just what we mean by God the Spirit. And it seems that Pentecost Sunday might be a good time to look at that a bit. And certainly, Suzanne, in your comments this morning, we are very much on the same wavelength because those, it's like, thank you, I got a little sermon in preparation for my sermon. Um, I think that gets at the heart, which I'll talk about a little more in a moment, of who the Spirit is, this, this intercessor. Perhaps the reason we have so much trouble describing the Spirit is not because the Spirit is so distant or unknowable, but perhaps it is because the Spirit is so near and so well-known that we have trouble putting it into words. Who is the Spirit? The Spirit is wind. The Spirit is breath. The Spirit is life. The Spirit is warmth. The Spirit is connection. The Spirit is the touch of a mother's hand. The Spirit is the embrace of the Father. The Spirit is the bond between lovers. The Spirit is the warmth of another body. The Spirit is yearning. The Spirit is questioning. The Spirit is presence. We have recently celebrated Easter in which we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We have recently celebrated the ascension in which Christ ascends into heaven wherever or whatever that means. It kind of makes you wonder, well, what's left for the Spirit to do? If Christ forgives our sins, if Christ saves us from death, if Christ brings redemption to the whole world, then aren't we kind of done with this story? What is left for the Spirit to do? Is the Spirit just kind of this one who goes around and comforts people a little bit or, or gives them a little nudge every now and then? It makes it kind of feel like the Spirit is, is batting cleanup or to use an older... Did any of you ever... Oh, no, none of you are old enough to have ever seen Rocky and Bullwinkle. A few of you. 
it, it used to have um, at the end of the show like this parade of history going by and at the end there'd be this little cleanup guy coming along sweeping up the horse droppings. Sometimes it seems like that's what we have left for the Holy Spirit to do. But what good is salvation? What good is freedom if it isn't to something? A guy who falls off a ship is free of the ship, but I wouldn't call him saved. If we, because, because we're still here, thanks for salvation, we still are stuck here. We who are the great in-betweeners, the ones who come after the resurrection, but before the second coming of Christ. And in the world that we encounter, evil is very real. We are surrounded by forces that tear at us, that pull us down, that drive us to despair. I don't need a God who is up in heaven. I need a God who's here. I need a God who is physically present for me in the here and now if I'm going to know salvation for myself. And that's what the Spirit is. The Spirit is the ongoing life and presence of God for us. For us who live in that in-between. The Spirit is that which binds God's self and ourselves together. Suzanne was talking about intercession and how when I can't worship, you worship for me. And believe me, I've had days like that when I'm up here leading worship and I'm thinking I am the least qualified today to be leading this congregation in worship. And what sustains me is the worship that you do anyway. In a little aside, there was this crisis in the life of the early church um, after the Roman persecutions because there were, um, there were bishops and, and pastors who during the persecutions had renounced their faith or who had um, you know, turned other people in or something because of their fear of being tortured or, or dying. And the question that was raised is, well, if I received baptism from one of these these pastors who fell away, is it still valid? If I received communion from one of these people who, did, who turned someone in, is it still valid? And what the church decided is, yes, it is, because it isn't what they do, it's what God is doing. We intercede for each other. Sustaining each other when we can't worship, when we can't pray, when we have trouble just living. We rely on the presence and on the support of others. We rely on their intercession. Christ, before ascending, promises this gift of an intercessor for us. The Holy Spirit comes and is that one who sustains us in our doubts, who sustains us in our desperation, who sustains us when we cannot believe, when we cannot hope, when we cannot do those things that are necessary for life. 
The Holy Spirit is that thing that reminds us that we are not alone. We do not exist as you and you and you. We exist as one body. The Holy Spirit is that which builds that connection between you and the person sitting next to you. It is that which reminds us that we are not alone. It is that that binds us together into one being such that we all rise and fall together. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we all rise. The Holy Spirit is the ongoing presence of God with us so that as Christ taught the disciples, so the Holy Spirit teaches us today. As Christ showed compassion and love for those that he encountered, we feel that today. The Christ who intercedes for the woman caught in adultery, so that spirit intercedes for us today. It is God's presence for us and through us, God's presence in the community and God's presence in the whole world. The Spirit is life. The Spirit is the force that expands out from the beginning of time, bringing new things into being, clustering stars into galaxies, planting the seeds of life and light. The Holy Spirit is that force that even now opens our eyes to see the kingdom of God and to yearn for it. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us such that we can intercede for others. It is that which awakens in us that sense of compassion that lets us suffer for another that causes us to lift up our voices even with tears because of the suffering not of ourselves but of someone else. It's that which allows us to rejoice and to sing when something good happens to another person. It is that which lets us truly become and be the one unified body of Christ in the world. The Holy Spirit is the only God we know. And I would draw that distinction between knowing and knowing about. We know about Elvis, but we can't know Elvis. Elvis is gone. We can know God because of the Spirit. We can feel God's presence. We can listen to the word and feel it transform us. We can feel the warmth and the energy of that fire. The Spirit is with us. The Spirit 
is in us. And the Spirit compels us to be God's presence in the world. As those flames once came down and rested, tongues aflame over the heads of the disciples, I look out and I see all these little tongues aflame out there. And I feel the Spirit's presence. In each word of encouragement, I feel the Spirit's presence. Thank you for that. And may the Spirit be with us always. Amen.